My name is Jeff Zeger, and I teach in CB Kids, and I hope that you truly are taking one step closer to Jesus today. It is truly what Crossbridge is all about. Where you are in your journey is immaterial. It's where you're heading and that you're moving that's important. Now, for those of you that know me, good morning. For those of you that don't, um, let me give you a, a little bit about me and my family. My wife, Marybeth, and I have five children. Uh, Stephen, who's eight, just about to turn nine, and he leads all eight-year-old sprinters in the I'm going to get out of church and to CB Kids first event. <laughs> Melissa, she just turned 15. She's the blonde that sings right there. Uh, Megan is uh, just graduated from CB Youth, and she's the enthusiastic one that gives uh, announcements up here. I have no idea where she gets that from. <laughs> and there's Emily. She's not here often. And then, uh, of course, we have Caitlin Anderson who is now married to Brett. I'm not old enough for that, but um, Caitlin's the reason we're here. Um, she found this church after she had graduated college, and she was looking to start her adult life outside of the uh, very large entity that is known as the Ziegler family. So she came here, met her husband, started a new life, all good stuff. When we left our last church, she introduced me to Pastor Jimmy, who, in typical Jimmy fashion, offered to help us find our way to our next church if Crossbridge wasn't a fit. We planned on staying here for just a few weeks, get our feet underneath us, and work to find a new church home. We arrived in February of 2020, and you all know what happened in March. So we only planned to stay a month or two, and here we are, and now my wife Mary Beth is the director of uh, CB Kids. Now I have to tell you, um, for years, even though Marybeth and I worked equally as hard at each of the churches where we were, um, Marybeth was simply Jeff's wife. And about a year ago, I was coming into church, and after I'd passed by, I overheard the greeters going, who's that? And I heard, that's Marybeth's husband. <laughs> so it's come full circle, I'm embracing my role here at Crossbridge as either Melissa's dad or Marybeth's husband, doesn't matter. It's all good. Um, but anyway, Marybeth and I are from the Pennsylvania side of the river. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia. I attended a private school there. And I'm one, I was one of those kids, I always needed something to do to stay out of trouble. And as any 12-year-old, I, uh, I got talked into doing a sport that I had never heard of by a very influential teacher. Uh, Mr. Bender talked me into wrestling for him. And I wrestled from 7th grade through the 12th grades. And I must say, it was a very good way to keep me busy. Now, if you don't know about wrestling, it's a classic individual team sport. Now, individual team sounds like an oxymoron. I get it. Very simply, each member of the team wrestles as an individual, scoring team points based on their, per their individual performance. At the end of the match, you total up the scores, and whoever has the most points wins. You know, the only thing you really need to do, and I'm looking at Colin because there's like a thousand things I can talk about wrestling. The only thing you really need to worry about, though, is staying off your back. You don't want to get pinned. If you get pinned, it's the fall, right? You lose six points for your team. The same token, you flip that guy on his back, <clears throat> keep his shoulders on the mat for three seconds, six points for you. Now, if you just lose or just win, it's only three. Difference in the point structure there. Um, so I started in seventh grade, learned the basics, got to be a pretty good li little wrestler. And, um, but my first year on varsity was a little bit different. Competition got tougher, kids got stronger, more technically competent, 
and uh, I was losing a bit more. Problem was, instead of me working hard and just losing, if I thought my opponent was better than me, I'd give up, roll over my back, get pinned. So instead of giving up three points, I was giving up six. I was, give, I was quitting because I didn't think I could win. Early each season, we would wrestle what we called near-league matches. Matches against other prep schools that had really good wrestling programs, tuning you up for the Interact League, for where it really counted. So the results of the match mattered for the overall record, but not for the league standings. But our coach, Chuck Hitchler, upper school math teacher and wrestling coach extraordinaire, regardless of, he didn't like losing anything, regardless of who we were wrestling. He expected that we would put forth our best effort for each and every match of the season. He's a great coach. Early in my sophomore year, we were wrestling over at Academy of New Church, and it became apparent that I was going to lose this bout. And it happened in the second period. I just, I rolled over. I quit. I gave up. And I got pinned. Again. Dejected, but unsurprised, I came back to the bench to lick my wounds, and I sat there and felt sorry for myself. But Coach Hitchler came over, and in complete control, knelt down in front of me and proffered some of the best and, quite frankly, most biblical advice I had ever heard to that point. And he got down, he's got this half smile, and he got down in front of me, he's just like, <clears throat> Zig, you got to find a way to stay off your back. <laughs> what he meant was, stop quitting. In that one statement, he straightened out my thinking and told me that the only thing I could do was go on out on that mat and give it all that I had. And if I did that, he would accept the result. If I worked, wrestled, and fought, he would accept any outcome either way. I couldn't control anything else about the bout. The fans, the opponent, the gym, nothing. I could only walk out, face my opponent, give it my best effort, and wrestle. What a lesson. What a lesson. I would like to tell you that I never quit anything ever again. That whatever I set my hand to do, I did with all my might, and I stayed after it. But as impactful as Coach Hitch's statement, I still found myself in situations where I would want to give up, where I wanted to not give any effort, let alone my best effort, and quietly quit. I had to ask, have you ever thought about quitting, or you ever just quit something you knew was good for you, or you knew you were supposed to do? I mean, I never said to my coach, well, today I'm going to go out and quit on myself and get pinned. <laughs> Even if my actions on the mat made the statement for me. Have you ever quit on a diet, a budget, an exercise routine, praying? I know, most of us in there just said, I quit. But have you ever just quietly stopped showing up or you missed a day and then it was a week and then a month and soon you've fallen out of the habit? And I'm not talking about taking a healthy break, right? But one day you realize you haven't done this in months. Again, you never quit, but somewhere along the line, you just stop doing it. Brothers and sisters, my friends and neighbors, we need to find a way to stay off your ba our backs and not get pinned. Have you ever felt like this in your spiritual life? I mean, have you ever really prayed for something? I mean, really prayed for something. And then over time, you just kind of prayed it for it, and then you just stopped. I know I have, and if there's one area I seem to wrestle with the most and keep finding myself on my back, it's in this area of prayer. 
In our text today that Becky read for us, found in the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke, Jesus tells his disciples a story about something he understands we are all going to do. Somewhere along the line, we'll all want to stop praying and give up. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, then this story is written for you and to you. If you have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, I'm glad you're here. And I believe that there are some really good points in here that can help you in this journey of life. But before we jump in, let's look at the context of what we're reading and what's happening right before Jesus tells this story. The end of Luke 17, it's pretty heavy. He's telling his disciples when the end times will be. He's saying when the Son of Man returns, it's going to look just like it did in Noah's day or just like in Lot's day. People are just living their lives. So the disciples ask, all right, we hear you with when, but where's this all going to happen? Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs will indicate that the end is near. They ask where. He answers when. Look for the signs. When. So what are we supposed to do to prepare? Jesus helps them understand by telling them a simple story with a major impact. So let's look at Luke 18. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Isn't it great when the Bible just tells us straight up what the point of the story is? <laughs> there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. This is a simple story Jesus tells. He's already told them the point in verse 1, but just to make sure that they don't miss the impact of the story, Jesus goes on to explain the story to them and to us, which he doesn't often do. So let's listen to how Jesus explains the meaning of the story. The Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Now let's remember this is a parable, a simple story where Jesus uses everyday people, things, and activities to express complex theological truths, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Notice there are two characters, the widow and the judge. And since Jesus doesn't want these to be complicated, he makes it pretty obvious to his listeners and to us that we are represented by the widow and God is represented by the judge. So let's start by taking a look at the widow. When Jesus is talking about a widow, everyone listening would have immediately pictured a woman with nothing, the kind of person who had no social, political, or financial standing in society the kind of person that God's law was designed to protect. And if we remember reading in Deuteronomy, you know, the orphans and the widows. The idea he is trying to get across is that this person brings nothing of value to this equation. So let's try to get in her mindset for a sec. Put yourself in her shoes. You're probably older, a bit more mature, as I like to say. You probably don't have a lot of money, certainly not enough to influence a corrupt judge. You have little or no family left, and someone has wronged you, and you want justice. So you are now going to go to the court and ask for justice. The only thing you can do 
is persistently and consistently show up in court and ask for that justice. It's like if you're having trouble in class. You were late with an assignment, and you need some extra credit. And the teacher doesn't offer it. So you go and you ask. I mean, what else can you do? You don't have a right to it. You're not entitled to it. But you need it. You need that extra credit to pass that class. I mean, how much power do you have in that situation? Maybe something happened at work. And one of your coworkers treated you in a less than professional way. So you report it. Nothing really changes. Even though there's a zero tolerance policy for this kind of behavior in the workplace. That employee's still there. They just don't speak to you anymore. Then you realize his boss is, well, the apple don't fall far from the tree, shall we say. What power do you have in that situation? Where the price of, I don't know, everything goes up. It would be really nice to have a few more bucks in your pocket at the end of the month. Maybe even get the money in the month to match. Hey, boss, how about instead of the usual 2% merit increase, you match that up with the 7% consumer price index that's going up? Boss? Boss? Gang, we've all had those spots in our lives where you are powerless to change what is happening. I'm sure we can all think of something in recent history, I don't know, over the last three years, where we collectively just threw up our hands and said, I don't like this, there's nothing I can do about it. Are you there? This is how the widow would have felt. Okay? Friends, I think it's easy to see that we are indeed the widow. We come before the Father through prayer, and we ask for what we need. Jesus says this widow doesn't stop, though. She came to the judge repeatedly. So since this is a story about prayer, why might we stop praying? Now, for some of us, putting ourselves in the role of the widow is easy, and perhaps a bit too easy, in fact. We think that we are less than the widow, and that we have no place before the Father. Perhaps it's hard to pray because we don't think we are worthy to have that place before God's throne. I wonder if by disqualifying ourselves up front, we give up on prayer before we even start. I bet a lot of widows in Jesus' time would have felt like this. It's almost like we think, if we don't belong there, why show up? My friends, if you feel like this, I understand. But before we move on, I want to remind you of something. He knows your name. He knew your name from before the founding of the earth, and he sees you. And reminds you that you are invited to come before him and ask. In fact, he already knows what you need before you ask him. But he still wants you to come and ask. For some of us here this morning, in order to keep from getting pinned and to stay off your back, you need to remember he knows your name. One attribute I think we could overlook about the widow is her confidence in the court or in the office of the judge. I mean, why go before someone who cannot help you? I mean, that would just be a waste of time, right? She isn't doing that. She knows, she believes, she has faith, she is confident that the judge in this position has the ability and the authority to grant her justice. She is confident that the decision rendered will be carried out and enforced with all parties involved. She knows, she believes, she has faith that this is the right place to be and that she is making the right request. Perhaps we stop praying because we stop believing in God as a provider for us, as one who can't or won't grant the justice we seek. If we're going to stay off our backs, keep praying. We need to have the confidence of this widow and believe that God hears us and has the power to bring justice. 
How the widow viewed the judge, it's a huge underlying part of the story Jesus tells. How we view God will impact how we pray. So maybe the reason some of us <clears throat> stop praying is because we have a skewed view of our Heavenly Father. Now, I know not everyone views God the same way, but you, have you ever thought about how you think of God? Some people view God like this. We all know who this is. It's the genie. In this case, it's all about me. Rub the lamp, give me my three wishes, and no wishing for more wishes. Make me a prince, Aladdin wishes. This wish is asking for the genie to make Aladdin something he is not, so that he doesn't have to do the hard thing, the right thing, and tell the truth. Remember, he doesn't want to tell Jasmine that he's really just a street rat. Aladdin wants the trappings of a prince without the heart of a prince. The heart of a prince comes from having to make the difficult decisions, the decisions that promote and consider others and humble the requester. That can't be manufactured by dressing up as a prince. Perhaps we view, we view God as the one who gives us anything we want. Give me what I want and when I want it, the way I want to see it. This is a give me something without working for it kind of request. I want to be the best player. I want to be the best musician or artist or business person, parent, friend, teacher, whatever, without having done the work to learn those skills. A master painter is forged in the menial work of thousands of repeated brush strokes, just as a master guitarist is made in the repetitions of chords and plucks, strums and picks. It's in the persistence of working on your craft that makes you the master. Just like Faith said a couple of weeks ago, maturity is a process, not a destination. We want the destination without the process. The challenge, of course, is that we don't understand God's plan and God's timing, and we can't. And if God doesn't deliver the results we expect when we expect them, we tend to roll over on our backs and take the pin. Lose the six points. We're frustrated at God. This is what happens in prayer if we view God as a genie. Now, perhaps some of us see God as this. <clears throat> now, my friend Judge Judy, in this case, it's all up to me. We see a judge that will weigh the merits of me in the case I present. I have to present my facts, my case, in strict compliance with the law, with convincing passion, or I will lose. The results are all up to me and my works and what I can do. I'm working every angle, every technicality, every precedent that's been set, I can find to win my case with the judge. Whatever the judge determines is final and permanent. So I'm the one that has to convince God to deliver the result. I have to have the correct words, in the correct order, at the correct time to win over the judge. Yes, the judge has the authority and the power to make it happen, but I'm the one that has to make my case. And instead of being frustrated at God, we're frustrated at ourselves and feel more weight to get things just right before we go back to the judge. And much like the genie, if the result doesn't go the way we expect, we tend to roll over on our backs and give up. Now, perhaps some of us see God as this. A vengeful dictator. In this case, it's all about fear. Vader is someone to be feared, someone to cower from. Do it right, 
give me what I want or face the consequences. Do we see God as someone who demands loyalty, demands obedience, or else? When I see God as Darth Vader, I think I will never meet the standard he has set. And if I get in front of him or go before him, it just makes it easier for him to find, for him to find me faster so he can punish me. I want to run to the outer rim and hide at that point. Get me on a desert in Tatooine. I'm good. He can't find me there. <clears throat> Why he can't find anybody there, I don't understand. Viewing God as Vader is interesting for another reason. Spoiler alert, he also re- represents an absentee father. Do we see God as an impersonal clockmaker who spun this world up and is letting things play out until the clock runs out? It would be difficult to ask someone who we don't have a relationship with, who isn't near us, for justice. He's just not there. And then when he does show, show up, it's join me or die, right? All kinds of issues there. If we view God like Darth Vader, and the only thing we think we're going to get is judged, reprimanded, or disappointed, we may roll over on our backs in, in prayer and give up. Now, perhaps some of you see God as this. All right. As a human being, in this case, it's all about the flaws and the limitations. Now, this is Paul Ziger. Now, Nate, it's the old guy in the picture. Nate, it's the old guy on the left in the picture. All right. <clears throat> Paul Ziger's a good man. He's my dad, and I'm so thankful. I know this may be difficult for some of you because your relationship with your dad wasn't good or you didn't have dad growing up. My dad is a good man and a good father to me and my brothers. I've got lots of stories about dad, most of them good. My brothers and I had a good upbringing, great life. Growing up, dad loved us cared for us, raised, educated, disciplined, supported, and successfully launched all three of us. But he's a man. He can only do so much. He ran a wholesale flower distribution company at five distribution locations and two greenhouses, hundreds of employees. He didn't come to every soccer game. He couldn't come to every wrestling match. I mean, think about Valentine's Day, February 14th. In the, family, in the flower business, this is commonly known as the devil's holiday. When we wrestled Malvern Prep on February 10th, Dad couldn't be there. He had too much to do at work. There's only so much a man can do. He can't be in two places at once. Oh, I have brothers, right? They have needs too. Do we look at God through our our human limitations and limit what he can do? Why would I pray to a fellow human being who is limited in thought and ability? You don't. You won't. It's foolishness. So, fellow widows, I hope you see how our view of God can impact how and if we approach him in prayer. It will limit what we think he can do. It can affect our motivation to pray because we believe that he is not capable or too judgmental or too impersonal or any host of other things that we may think. The good thing is that God is not limited by our thoughts about him. Our opinion doesn't matter one bit when it comes to I am. God is, among other names and descriptions, the Most High God, the Creator of all that is seen and unseen, the Redeemer, the Healer, Righteous Judge, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus encourages us to look at God, the Father, appropriately and to be persistent in the asking. He calls us His chosen people. Remember, He's talking to His disciples, the ones who are following Him. 
as followers of Jesus ourselves, He's talking to us. Widows, we are chosen by God the Father Himself, and He loves us, and He even likes us. And how can we be chosen, you ask? He sees us through the blood of His Son, Jesus. So whatever you have done that doesn't meet God's standard, or what you should have done and didn't do, when we ask forgiveness, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. God hears us, and He forgives us. This is why Jesus can confidently say, so don't you think God will surely give justice to His chosen people to cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. God has the ability, the authority, and the desire to grant justice and grant it quickly. That's why we pray. He's the one that can supply everything we need. So my fellow widows... We need to have the faith to pray to the God who can and who will in his way and in his time. Okay, great. I understand I'm a widow. I can do nothing but persistently go before God and ask for justice. I understand that God is, that he has the authority, the ability, and desire to grant this. What do I do when I lack the faith? Jesus asked that question as well. But when if the Son of Man returns... How many will he find on earth who have faith? Again, he knows what our limitations are and where we will fall down, come up short, quit, whatever. We need each other to help us stay off our backs. This is when I turn to all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my companions and fellow travelers on this journey we call life. None of us can do this alone. We all need community to help us along. I know that I need to be able to share my burdens with somebody else. I need someone else to understand what I'm going through, to hear me, to understand what's really happening in my life. Someone to tell me that I'm not crazy. That situation is difficult. To listen to my gripes and complaints and then point me back to Jesus. Paul tells us in Galatians to bear one another's burdens. We are here to help each other through these difficult times when we lack the faith to pray. I have personally found that being a part of one of the many ministries here at Crossbridge is a great way to develop that community. If you want to get to know some folks, sign up for Set Up or Tear Down. That's a great way to know some people. There's ample opportunity to get to know people while you're rolling around the bins, getting the room prepped, stacking chairs. You'll get to know people. Probably hear some other fun stuff that you weren't expecting either. (laughs) My personal favorite, though is the life groups here. I first got involved in this ministry with a Wednesday night men's group a few years back, then a great Friday night group, and most recently with a group on Wednesday nights this past year. These people who were strangers at one point are now my friends. They know stuff about me. I know stuff about them. And there is a true bond of love there. We are patient and kind with each other. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We bear burdens for each other. I bring these groups up because I have asked at one point in time or another the people in all of these groups to pray for me and for my daughter Emily because this has been a place in prayer where I found myself on my back about to get pinned. Now I asked Emily if it was okay to share this with you because it's not just my story, it's hers too. She said it was all right. Now most of you don't know Emily because she doesn't come much. She very much loves the Lord and wants to be a part of this church community. Emily's 24. She got sick when she was 16. Before that, though, she was always bouncing and full of life. 
My friend used to call her Tigger because she bounced so much. She was a really good soccer player, clinical defender, fast, mean, tough. A professional soccer player and trainer once told me, Jeff, I'd hate to play against your daughter. No one got around her, and heaven help the girl that did. Emily would track them down and, uh, shall we say, disrupt the play. It was really fun to watch. Now, just like her sisters, Emily sang. She still does sing. She had a passion for musical theater. It was in the spring of 2014, and she was one of the Fionas in the show Shrek, which was really a lot of fun. It was awesome. During tech week, which is a crazy week, long hours, she got hungry, she got dehydrated, she got tired, just like everybody else. Except she had this crazy thing happen with her leg. Just would give out. I thought, nah, just take some Tylenol, get some rest, rehydrate, you'll be fine. After all, that's what, just what she did. You couldn't keep this kid down. And of course, we prayed for her. But she didn't get better. She got worse. And I kept praying. I started to see my bright, beautiful, hard-charging daughter become weak and sickly and then bedridden. It was odd, strange. It was scary. Traditional medicine couldn't help. They couldn't diagnose her. That's all in her head, they said. Nothing to see here. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, months into years. I'm not sure when it happened exactly, but at some point in time, I stopped praying for Emily's healing. In fact, I'm not sure I prayed about much of anything in a meaningful way. It feels hypocritical, disingenuous, icky to say that out loud because I love my daughter immensely, and I know God loves her even more. So why? Why would I stop praying? Honestly, because I can look at each of the pictures that I, of God that I showed you earlier, and I confess that at different times, I saw God in each of those ways. I got discouraged. I lost faith. I stopped praying. Maybe the genie had given me the answer that I wanted. Maybe I argued my case incorrectly. Therefore, my case was thrown out. I know. He remembered everything that I've ever done wrong, held it against me. He's just not there for me. Or he's just a guy. He loves me. He can't do anything. Now, I know better than perceive God these ways, just like you do. I know better. But man, is it hard not to lose faith when it feels like you're on the back and the rep is the count of two. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm thankful today because while I may have felt like I was about to get pinned, God brought a supernatural energy to roll me from my back to my knees. And this came from being around my fam in the small group. I've had times at the Classy Cal with the guys where we have sharpened each other. Times on Friday nights where other couples have encouraged Mary Beth and I. But most recently, in our time on Wednesday nights, I got to meet and start to know Kayla Memes, a bright and amazing young woman. Getting to know her, she reminded me of Emily. The way she thought about life, the way she thought about Scripture and about God, just her presence there with a bunch of us old folks, us being in the community together, those few hours on Wednesday nights, got me back to praying for Emily. I am grateful that we live in this wonderful community of believers. 
And so that we get the whole story out here, God in his time and in his way has healed Emily physically, spiritually, and emotionally, miraculously. Not because my words were correct. And not because my words were correct. And not because I was loud enough or soft enough. He did it in his way, in his wisdom, in his timing. I'm not going to tell you that I was rewarded for my persistence. It doesn't work that way. I am going to continue to pray for my daughter, Emily, that God will redeem those lost years. And when she's ready, she'll be here. And I can't wait for you to get to know her. I will also continue to pray for my other children, my son-in-law, my wife, my extended family, and a bunch of other folks in this room about a lot of different things. Those of you that were strangers, you are now my friends. I love you, and I will pray for you. The only thing I can do is to stay off my back. And the only way to do that is to come before the Father in prayer. Perhaps this morning you have found yourself on your back and you just haven't prayed in a while for that one thing, that healing, that deliverance, that family member, the help you need. I don't know what it is, but I do want you to know that God cares and he wants to bring justice and bring it quickly. So for this week... Two things. Let me suggest two things. First thing, make a decision to join a life group in the fall. I understand they're going to be organizing shortly, starting next month, so stay tuned. But make the decision now. Make the decision to stay committed to it, too. I know they're people, they're strangers, they're scary. I get it. They will soon be friends. If you don't know which one to join, just talk to one of the elders, Pastor Jimmy, Pastor Will. They'll get you in the right direction. Make the decision to join a life group. You can't do this alone. For this week, second suggestion. For this week, set an alarm on your phone. And when it goes off, pray for that one thing. I'm, don't pull your whole list out. It's like, i got to go through everything. Just pray for the one thing. Just one. At that time. Now, it sounds simple. I'm a simple man. I follow simple instructions. So just do that simple thing. Remember, it's up to God what happens. So what time? I don't know. We were in Luke 18.8, right? So set it for 18.08. Nate, that's 6 o'clock at night, bud. <clears throat> if that time doesn't work for you, pick another one. doesn't matter. Just this week, just this week, take that step towards Jesus. My brothers and sisters, this spiritual life is an individual team sport. You need to do your part. But like a wrestling match, you have a whole team around you, encouraging you, motivating you, not letting you get away with the excuses that you let yourself accept. We need each other. Let's be the church who is encouraging and helping each other to find a way to stay off our backs and keep praying. You know what? Let's do that now. That one thing that you wanted to be praying for and have stopped, let's take a moment and get started. So think of that one thing. I'll watch the clock. We'll give it 10 or 15 seconds and pray for that one thing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank and praise you for today. I thank you for the Lord the life, the breath that you give each of us. 
I thank you that you hear us, that you know us, that you want to help us. Lord, I pray that you would take these requests that you have heard and seal them, Lord, that in your way and in your time, you will bring answer for each and every one. We thank and praise you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name.